Okay. Well, I can't hold you right now. You're so needy. There we go. Ma'am. Is that her? Yes. Oh God. Sounds terrible. I'm so upset right now. Can you give me a second? Girl, I have so much up here. I have the shrimp pile, which I'm going to throw on the floor right now. Here, you can have this. You don't want that? <laughs> she said, no. <laughs> <laughs> you tell it, girl. I'm so sorry. You said, mom, absolutely not. <laughs> what How dare you? Thinking? Okay. Come here, then. You want to say hello? Yes. <laughs> That's how Salem sounds in the morning when he's trying to get me to get up. Quispy. Ah, little chirpy. Chirpy chirps. Mm -hmm. Oh, we, we purring. Oh, so cute. Hello, baby. everyone and welcome to the show i'm blair and i'm kirsten and we are mediocre, mediocre content. content and we hope that you guys have had or are having a wonderful holiday season it is hard to believe it's the last week of december yikes <laughs> sorry did i i came on too strong with that one <laughs> no no it's okay i feel like we always do this where we mention like what yeah. time of year it is and we're like this is going too fast it is it is but literally the next episode that we go out we'll have already completed the new year rituals which is crazy to think about yes so happy future 2024 i guess yes <laughs> yes indeed manifest you're your 2024 <laughs> now because yeah it's coming do you remember, um, this was probably like months and months ago now, but it made me think about it because I saw this TikTok of Times Square. But do you remember when we were talking and we we're like, oh, we would love to do that. But like, we're not standing in diapers or like worrying mm -hmm. about where mm -hmm. to go. And we're like, oh, we'll just like, we'll plan it years in advance and like just book a hotel mm -hmm. on the strip with like a balcony or something and like mm -hmm. watch the ball mm -hmm. drop. I think about that a lot. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I, I would love that. It'd be so I, fun. I would love to do that. I think it would yeah. be great. And we just have like our champagne on the right. balcony or whatever and right. just like call it a day. Yeah. Exactly. No, and then literally perfect. like just shut the door and be like, good night. <laughs> <laughs> Bedtime. <laughs> Bedtime. I can go to the bathroom whenever I want. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yep. Yeah. That's the dream. That's the dream. Yeah. It is yeah. the dream. You're so right. We'll have to do that at some point. We will. Um, you recently came back from a trip. Yes, which I is did. exciting. And you had a blast. It was fabulous. If anyone ever wants to go to Banff, Canada, I highly recommend it. It is simultaneously a Hallmark movie, Gilmore Girls, and The Grinch, all <laughs> oh in one. God. It's it's a lot. beautifully wonderful. And yeah. I don't know. I, there's just like, I can't say enough good words about it. And I also firmly believe that Canadians are much nicer than we are over here. Mm. But that is... That could just be that I was in like a touristy area, but they were <laughs> like, everybody was so nice. Like yeah. we went into the coffee shop and like, you know, we ate out at restaurants and interacted with the, with the people and it was lovely. That is awesome. I'm glad that you had a good time. I'm also glad it wasn't too bad of a trip as well. Good weather, et cetera. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Weather wise, it was winter wonderland. Mm. It was not blizzard. So 
all good things. Always a plus, especially if you want yes. to be out and about. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it, I think if, even if it was a blizzard, it wouldn't have, like, we would have still had a, a nice time. Oh, but, yeah. You know, it's always nice to, like, you know, have good weather. Yeah. Um, so we actually have some things that we don't normally have for an episode. So if you want, we can disclaim and I can share what we have. Yes. So, um, before we get started, we're not experts on anything, obviously. Um, if you come to the podcast, to get any kind of advice. We obviously don't have any advice for you. Um, <laughs> but we are the place to learn about things and we encourage you to do your own research in the event that you find what we're talking about interesting. Mm-hmm. And we have mediocre mail. Woo-hoo! It's so exciting because one of you, actually two of you did reach out with a couple of corrections and also extra facts. And I would like to preface this by saying these are not our family members for the first time. <laughs> it's real. Our previous issue of Mediocre Mail was a family member and we yes. have no shame about that <laughs> at all. It but was still great. These are people we do not know, which is yes. amazing. It we is amazing. Us. So these guys uh, reached out uh, via our YouTube comments. So if that's somewhere where you feel like you can type out what you want to say most effectively, feel free to do that. All of our podcasts and all of our mediocre streams are posted there. So if you'd like to do that, you can. Mm-hmm. But the comments stem from episode 54, which we did recently, The Wonder of Taj Mahal, which kudos to Blair, excellent research, excellent episode. And Thank obviously, you. they did think so too. So our first commenter is at Samir Solanki. I apologize if I spelled that wrong or said it wrong, but they stated that Mumtaz Mahal, which is the wife of Shah Jahan that we were talking about last time. Yes. With this episode, yes. uh, was the first woman of Emperor mm. Life. She eventually became his second wife, but was engaged to him since he was 15 and she was 14. She didn't ask for Taj Mahal, apparently, or some kind of grand mausoleum. Instead, she asked him to be nice to her seven surviving children, which that is a lot of children, mm. uh, and of course to her family. And additionally, uh, she mentioned that Shan Jahan, who was the emperor, uh, is known for his other architectural achievements, such as Red Fort and Jama Mosque. He was the main mind behind all of these uh, monuments and actually commissioned his first building at the age of 12, which is insane. So, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it, I, I guess <laughs> we had talked about how the Grand Mausoleum was basically like his dedication to her at the end when she was mm-hmm. like, you know, whatever. But I guess they had like tons of kids and she was like, just take care of my family, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And he's a real architect, I suppose, or at least a good uh, artist, I guess would you call it. I don't know. Another good example of if he wanted to, he would. <laughs> Which we will talk about ironically. Yes. <laughs> <In> the- <laughs> also, we were watching Jeopardy yeah. the other night, like old people. And um, as, as you do. The question or like the answer was who it was something like who um built the Taj Mahal or who was the main person Ah, behind the Taj Mahal and And I knew who it was I was like I researched this I know that's awesome you know what our podcast may be the reason we should be on Jeopardy uh I wouldn't go that far I'm gonna go that far do it you you reach for the stars 
Our second commenter is from Clat Study, and they stated that you can actually also visit the jail of uh, the emperor in Agrifort. So this is where he was jailed by his own son, um, and he'd actually apparently asked for a room so he could see the Taj Mahal that he built, and of course where his late wife was buried. Um, and you can also visit where he sat, and you can gaze out and be sad, I guess. I don't know. Just <laughs> kind of get the full experience if you want. Um, and because of all of that, because I was reading the comments and looking into the Taj Mahal again, my algorithm just kind of catches up. Yeah. <laughs> you know mm -hmm. what happens. And so I started getting a couple of videos and actually, uh, like most people, there's so many creators out there that are stitching each other. But basically there was a video of someone who was visiting the Taj Mahal and they were taking like an outside kind of panoramic view and it was mm. something to the effect of they just don't build you like personal mausoleums anymore and it was kind right. of like yeah, that yeah, if he yeah. wanted to he would but whoever it was <clears throat> that was stitching it like stopped and was just like so actually um he Shah Jahan uh birthed his wife to unaliving essentially like he, she had so many children and after oh, her final child she passed is what yeah. is what she so she's like it sounds really great but it's actually like super sad and he like it's not like this beautiful romantic love story sure. or something yeah like that. so like i said we don't always get it right in terms of like, like none of us were there like we we don't know and we right. said that in the pod too we're like you know some people might romanticize it this girl is saying hey he actually wasn't that great <laughs> it has yeah that. but very cool to receive extra information thank you so much to both of our commenters for sending in some extra information and like i said you guys can too we love hearing from you we get really excited when we get real listener mail we do um always fun to dive into y'all's brains and there's other ways so if you want to do it on youtube great if you mm -hmm. want to have other options you can email us at mediocre content podcast at gmail.com like we always say slide into yeah. the dms whether that's instagram tiktok youtube they're all at mediocre content podcast and uh that's my soapbox <laughs> well and i think too this is like kind of what we want right yeah. like we want to have a conversation and yeah. like if we don't get the full picture because it's hard to do it that is. in like an hour-long episode yeah. um like we want to know like where we messed up or like if there's we needs to be corrections and we'll always try and you know have a conversation about that on the next pod or the yeah. few pods after that um so we'll always try and make our corrections and like have a conversation about it here because yeah. this is this is the main place and so. it's so fun it's yeah it's very cool it makes us feel good that you guys care enough to leave a comment so exactly yeah so uh and with that good news we also have our normal good news coming at you with blair today so what do you have for us or do i have it today you have it today oh right i wrote this you did. You did write it. That I is feel correct. like it's been so long since I wrote Embarrassing. <laughs> Embarrassed. I'm going to double it up. I was like, I could do it if you want, but like I have no, a whole episode. You're so. right. You're right. I forgot I wrote this. You know what it is? It's because I thought of, um, not to get ahead of ourselves, but I thought of, I saw the electrical power and thought of your good news for our next episode that we oh, got. Okay. And I was like, got oh it. my God, did we do the same thing? And it made me double take what episode I was on. <laughs> Professionals! <laughs> Having a mental breakdown in real time. Oh, on the pod. As we do. 
besides my mental breakdown though we do have good news this one was called drive for power and is coming out of detroit michigan uh they recently celebrated a major milestone in the future of vehicle electrification which sounds terrible but is actually kind of cool as crews finished installing the nation's first wireless charging public roadway last month. You heard it right. We're not talking about stations. We're not talking about cars. We're talking about roadways, which is insane. Mm -hmm. So using technology from Electrion, 14th Street in Detroit, Michigan, is now equipped with inductive charging coils that will actually charge electric vehicles equipped with receivers as they're driving on the road. That is so cool. That is so cool. (laughs) I don't mean to nerd out, but I'm kind of nerding out. (laughs) A little bit. A little bit. The road will be used to test and, of course, perfect the Israeli company's wireless charging technology in a real-world environment to perfect it ahead of making it available to the public in the next few years. Next few years. Like, this is current. It is. (laughs) It is. Tons. Um... It's stated that Dr. Stefan Tonger of Electrion said, we're excited to spearhead the development and deployment of America's first wireless charging road. This milestone stands as a testament to our collaborative efforts with the state of Michigan. (laughs) It's a big word, okay? I didn't even know I was doing good news, apparently. Give me a break. Collaborative. Collaborative efforts. (laughs) And the Department of Transportation, end quote. The charging road, which runs between Maritet, or I guess Marintet, is that how you say that? Mm, hard words. about right. Sure. Marintet and Dalzell, Dalzell Streets. If you're from Michigan, you could probably pronounce those way better than I can. Um, but it paves the way for, of course, addressing the range limitations, because most, if not all, I think, electric vehicles have a maximum of like 200 something miles. I think one of them's 250s. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the Tesla can get up to like 300, okay. depending on if you get the long range or not. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. like usually somewhere in there. And also it prevents you from having to stop and charge regardless of yeah. your limitations of range, because mm-hmm. obviously it's doing it while you're driving, which is great. Uh, The first move toward electrification was touted by Governor Gretchen Whitmer, who announced the pilot initiative in September of 2021 to develop the nation's first wireless charging infrastructure on the public road. And after MDOT and Electrion entered a five-year commitment to develop the electric road system, it was called ERS, which is electric road system. (laughs) Electrion's, Wow. (laughs) Wow. Electrion's wireless charging technology is based on what's uh, called inductive coupling between copper coils installed below the road surface and receivers, like we talked about, installed on the underside of the electric vehicle. The road will only transfer its electricity using a magnetic field when a vehicle with a receiver nears the in-road charging segments. These segments can transfer wireless electricity directly to the car battery when the vehicle is parked or is driving. So if you're stuck in traffic, it's still going to charge for you. Um, The electric road is safe for drivers, pedestrians, and wildlife. So that's good to know. There's not like a really negative environmental impact as far as using it goes. I'm not 100% sure on its production, of course. Sure. Because there's always that question. Uh, but each co- or its longevity. I don't know if it talks about this, but I don't know how, like, if they need maintenance. 
Um, each coil in the road is activated only when a vehicle with it, with the receiver is approaching. And of course, this ensures controlled uh, charging. Like it's not just going right. off randomly. Right. <laughs> Uh, so in 2024, MDOT will begin seeking bids to rebuild part of the US-12, uh, which is Michigan Avenue, which will see the additional inductive charging installation. And Electrion has also installed two static inductive charging stations in front of Michigan Central Station, which will be available to charge Electrion-equipped vehicles while they're parked, which is great. Nice. And uh, so in general, this is fantastic um it's going to be a great innovation if it's working and functioning and the initial trials go really well like i said i'm not 100 percent sure on the production effects like what kind of environmental factors come into play with producing miles and miles of this type of road how much maintenance but we're excited i think for the prospects of this because this could be fantastic it would first of all mean that we don't need to worry about charging our electrical vehicles as aggressively we can travel farther um i'm hoping it's a little cheaper at some point um, i don't know how much it takes to make roads today but i assume if you need copper and coils and stuff in it, it probably takes a little bit extra money yeah but perhaps the payoff is better and uh yeah cool uh the second part <laughs> the other good news that i have is not as techy <laughs> it's just about treasure <laughs> i feel like your first story is very much like tron <laughs> yes um so i'm yes. excited to see what the second one is <laughs> it's ridiculous i literally went from oh my gosh this is so environmentally amazing to gold coins <laughs> wow treasure. that's literally the, the range that we're working with right now i love it so the Spanish galleon Maravillas uh, was one of the richest treasure ships ever lost at sea when it sank in the northern Bahamas over three centuries ago. Since then, it's been salvaged into oblivion. At least that's what the experts thought. Four years later, uh, underwater technology has now kind of advanced for us. And so Allen Exploration, um, which is just the name of the exploration group, has mapped a sprawling trail of scattered treasure that runs over five kilometers in that area. Wow. Late at night on January 4, 1656, the Nuestra Señora de las Maravillas, or mm -hmm. Our Lady of Wonders, sank off the western Little Bahama Bank loaded with its treasure, and the Spanish ship was heading home. Of course, it was very weighed down. It had like silver bars and coins, you know, basic treasures that you would consider. Yeah, because pirates. Because yeah, pirates. Also on board was the Trevor sal treasure salvaged from an earlier galleon lost near Ecuador two years earlier. So they had even more than they normally would have. Interesting. Soon after, the galleon was fished for relics on at least 21 occasions and, of course, heavily stripped by Spanish salvors and then English and American crews. And then between 1972 and 1991, modern salvage teams rediscovered the wreck and lifted an alleged 30 tons of gold bars, coins, silver nuggets, jewelry, emeralds, iron anchors, and cannons. Oh my god. <laughs> can you imagine? <laughs> so can we talk about how, like, this is where the Little Mermaid was? Oh, absolutely. Like, she she mm -hmm. found all this, and this was in her little mm -hmm. yes. hidey hole cubby thing. <laughs> 
I don't yes. know. Ideal. I like that. Her lair. I don't her know. <laughs> she goes down to her teenage lair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and builds a relic of Eric. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. But tons of stuff. Um, also, just a side note, I'm pretty sure when stuff like this is found and, like, drudged up, it either returns to the country or becomes, like, nationally Oh, there's like a, like a, there's laws regarding the sea fines is basically oh, okay. what I'm trying all to right. say. So sure. it's not, it's not like these guys are like, oh, I'm taking hold all this jewelry. It's like, it becomes the, the nation's product or the nation's the collective correct ownership of the, <laughs> yeah. of the nation in its original. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's not just, you can't just Johnny be stealing things from the sea. <laughs> no, you can't just be doing that. I just wanted to be very clear that you're I not going to. Yeah, I just, I just feel like I need to say it. <laughs> um. So anyway, since 2019, licensed by the Bohemian government, Alan X has discovered the survival of a sprawling scatter of additional artifacts running southeast for a distance of over three miles from where the Maravat. Mara Vias originally hit the reef and sank. Hidden beneath the waves and sand are olive jars, silver pieces of eight, silver bars, emeralds, amethysts, and additional gold jewelry, and every single fine uncovered from 828 lead musket balls and the over 10,000 olive jars fragments. They said we need olives. (laughs) Olives are great. (laughs) Olives are not that good. Oh my god. (laughs) Controversial. Love olives. I am of Greek heritage and I hate (laughs) olives. Hey, maybe that's why. (laughs) You had too many olives. No. That's not it. <laughs> there was also almost 3,000 silver coins, 125 emeralds and amethysts, and of course had been painstakingly mapped so they could find it. Good. Uh, um, at least 142 hurricanes and storms have struck the Bahamas since 1500, of course. Mm-hmm. And if the galleon was broken up by the hurricane, after the hurricane, whatever, it'd kind of be scattered around. And so you kind of have to map it so that you know what to look for. And so the project's chief archaeologist, uh, Jim Sinclair, was surprised that they found blown down areas that scatter this trail, including unique gold change and jewelries with inlay, precious gems, personal prop. Like, they were so surprised that after all this time and after mm-hmm. all the other expeditions that had already mapped things out and been out there, there was still like tons of stuff scattered everywhere. Yeah. Um, I wonder even if maybe there was too much on the ship and that's why been. you know, I mean, if you hit the reefs and you're already straining, you're probably not going to make it. Yeah, exactly. You know, cause that's heavy. Yeah. Or this ship was like really big. Yeah. Well, that may have been true as well. Yeah. Um, there were also, it sounds like, some kind of um, international pieces as well. So they found uh, fancy Chinese and Mexican bowls and dishes, um, wow. swords, navigational dividers. I mean, you name it. This, I mean, the people were living on the boat. So you kind of have to, yeah. I mean, their personal belongings were on here too. Right, right, right. Um, in 1992, the government of Bahamas enacted a moratorium 
on the issuance of licenses for shipwreck salvage and the sea stayed closed until 2019 and when carl allen uh, who was part of the expedition for allen x was awarded a new license to conduct scientific and archaeological exploration allen x now has to submit those monthly written reports to the country presenting maps finds listens so this is what i'm saying like they don't just get to take this stuff it's archaeologically valuable outside of its current but it's also belonging to it's no longer finders keepers correct (laughs) yes correct (laughs) but i still thought it was super cool and it's cool it's like you dream as a kid you're like oh i'm gonna find buried treasure right really did yeah no they really did well and it's almost better like i know everyone's like all hyped about the titanic which was like a huge moment in history but like the Titanic didn't have as much gold as this. Like, they, no, there was not and all the buried treasure situation. I would argue that controversial incoming, I guess. Feel free to leave your comments. But outside okay. of uh, so there's a lot of conspiracies around the Titanic and maybe we should do an episode Ooh. on it. Yeah, Ooh. there's, there's okay. so many. I thought you were so... going to get us canceled. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Continue. I mean, I still might. <laughs> I was like, Ugh. I would say that so outside of the conspiracies though which we should do an episode and maybe i can go into like all the ones that are out there because they're very interesting and very convincing yeah but uh i think instead of like this where you have multitudes of previous shipwrecks that had situations like this where it was like gold and silver and pirates and things yeah the thing that made the titanic really like crazily um overwhelmingly i'm not even gonna say popular that's just the word it was the loss of life and also like overall the alleged catastrophe of hitting this iceberg and so like it wasn't what they had it's what they went through you know well and it's a lot of rich people who meant a lot to a lot of people who possibly died and or went through this traumatic event and so obviously it's going to make the news and be a prominent thing that happens right right as opposed to like i guarantee you our ocean is probably littered with things like this where you've Mm, got like mm -hmm. tons of treasure because there were lots all you could do at that time was sail ships with your cargo and make it from point to point right try to try point to point and unlike a lot of our stuff nowadays which in my opinion is on the cheaper side and isn't really worth like my ten dollar shirt being shipped across isn't going to be as worth as much as a gold brick of that time and <laughs> you it's know true. what i mean it's true well and and i mean the invention of plastic is really our oh, downfall yeah. let's Absolutely. be honest yeah um because like your shirt that's made of polyester is basically right. just soft plastic right that's what, exactly that's just exactly what it is as opposed not to, to not to be too shady but, but it's the know. truth and it so yeah. you find an authentic stack of gold and silver bars in the mm. ocean mm. that are from that time period exactly crazy amazing yeah so anyway. and then you find out you're like oh my god i'm rich and then you find out you have to return it <laughs> and then you find out finders keepers doesn't apply yeah <laughs> what a downfall i know that's rough <laughs> Uh, but I think from their perspective, I mean, I'm just a child, right? Mentally, right. I'm just like yeah. treasure. For them, yeah. it's like, oh, this is so archaeologically amazing. No, Let's yeah, share it, it with totally the world. Is. Yeah, <laughs> no, like, it is. I'm like, no, I, I want that. <laughs> Finders keepers. Finders keepers. So we know what Kirsten will be doing when she moves <laughs> to the beach. Oh, and right. if she finds anything on 
on the shore, you just know if she suddenly, there will be signs (laughs) that she found something that we won't know for sure, but there will be signs. Suddenly I just disappear and you never hear from me again. She she acquires very rare Pokemon cards. (laughs) I acquire all the pre-orders of Squishmallow Pokemon. (laughs) Right. No, exactly. Is that a thing? Is that could be a thing? I have a Clefairy on the way. Is that your question? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I'm just in my stuffed animal era. I was always in my stuffed oh, animal era. I don't even know why. Girl, I'm like I that. need to get back into my stuffed animal era. Honestly, goals, and it's so soft. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you see, I feel bad I that the viewers I can't do. see what's the behind me, can't. but they come can check us out on Twitch. Though. Yeah, come yeah. to Twitch, and you can see the chaos behind me. <laughs> Yeah, it looks really comfortable, actually. Um, I tell people this all the time. You got to be careful because it looks super fluffy. There's a chair and a box under there. So you're going to nosedive right into my bookcase. Exactly. And eat a chair. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we spent enough time on this. All right. (laughs) Let's just segue into today's actual topic. We shall. Also, I have... I just want to say I have two sleeping kitties on my desk and it's so cute. So cute. I love it. Uh, I love them so much. Precious babies. This is what happens when I go on vacation and then I come back and I'm just like, I love you so much. You just can't be leaving, you know? You just got to be a homebody forever now. I know. I know. <laughs> All right. So today, uh, based on what you've seen on the title, you know that we're talking about animation and i figured this was a good topic because Mm. this is the time of year where i feel like people watch the most claymation because it's very popular at least in the states um the rudolph and jack frost and santa specials that are claymation that were made uh many many moons ago um still hold up today and are really cute Mm -hmm. and fun to watch even on the back even in the background not necessarily you know sit down and watch them but Unless some people do guy. <laughs> have you heard the, the no TikTok what guy? is the tiktok guy he's like i'm re-watching a lot of these claymations and i just got a lot of questions and he like, <laughs> he oh, makes no. it very hilarious and he's like i don't even know what's going like these guys there's they got two different dads or two different moms <sighs> it's like, it's like <laughs> well there's a whole claymation universe like yes. similar to the marvel universe which we'll get into in a minute mm-hmm. um But first, we're going to do a little bit of history on claymation. So clay animation or quote unquote claymation Mm. is a form of stop motion animation where each animated segment, mainly characters and objects and some backgrounds is created from plastine clay. Mm. Um, Did I say that right? Plastine. 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 Words are hard. Uh, (laughs) Words are hard. Um, So plasticine was a clay made of oil based modeling compound. um, And it would go on to become the standard claymation clay used for most films due to its non-drying property and malleability. Just about to ask, is there a reason? Because that sounds messy. (laughs) Yeah, no. And because they need to be able to like Mm -hmm. only create one figure and move it like a hundred times to make it move yeah in when it's flipped all together um wire skeletons referred to as armatures are generally wrapped around a pla- around the plastine to keep them stable each individual frame is moved one small portion at a time recorded on film and then displayed in a quick succession to produce an illusion of movement so basically it's a fancy flip book 
super like 3d flip book 3d flip book um objects may stay illuminated and positioned correctly at all times in order to create the illusion of continuity Mm -hmm. even to this day claymation techniques remain strikingly similar to the earliest experiments in the art form characters such as blobs of clay before being molded (laughs) into armatures and covered in latex um (laughs) god i'm so sorry listener the <laughs> i am reading the <laughs> her whole butt I'm reading my thing and then all of a sudden i see this gray tentacle wrap around Kirsten's microphone and it's puma's tail <laughs> she just tried to wipe out the whole mic oh my god. with her whole butt <laughs> girl that's a big I no was like a sea monster is attacking Kirsten right now. she does her best so sorry so sorry all right. Um, even to this day, claymation techniques remain strikingly similar to the earliest experiments in the art form. Uh, claymation artists proceed to move the models into positions required to make the film. With Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs being the first feature length film made out of cell animation, mm-hmm. which is the mm-hmm. 2D, right? Being produced in 1937, 2D animation has had a 60-year head start. So believe mm. it or not, claymation was not first. Which is crazy to think about. It is crazy to think about. Um, while the first feature-length clay animation film may have been Chicken Run. <laughs> I um, remember that. I remember oh my that god. Too. That's some good stuff. And that was like in 2000 for yeah. those who don't know oh my god um, so the good. art form actually dates back over 100 years prior to its release in 1897 tyler liked wallace and gromit i don't know if you're gonna talk yeah, about it but we are yeah. we're gonna talk about it <laughs> the first claymation animation film known to have survived is the sculptor's nightmare from 1908 um and that might contradict some other stuff uh mm. so just this is a very general timeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this very early film was the first known was first known to integrate claymation with live action video, designed to parody the 1908 U.S. presidential election. Director Wallace McCutcheon McCutcheon um, combined live action narrative with animated clay heads for comical value. That sounds horrifying. <laughs> It was. I watched a little <laughs> clip on it on YouTube. It's not great. Um, the narrative in Paradoxal Satire follows a boisterous group of top-hatted gentlemen bickering about who will <laughs> succeed Roosevelt as president. Oh. The group tasks um, a craftsman to make a statue of the new president, and he sets to work all while drinking as much as he can. Because why wouldn't you? Right. Seems good. Um, soon sent to jail for his disorderly behavior, the sculptor dreams of three clay blocks that will come to life and become the living busts of Roosevelt's three potential successors, William Jennings, Brian, um, Charles W. Fairbanks, and William Howard Taft. And spoiler alert, William Howard Taft is the one that won. You guys didn't know. Um, Spoilers for the presidential election. election I like it. <laughs> the presidential election of 1908. Yes. So anyway, uh, the living heads amuse the sculptor as he watches them drink, smoke, and act antisocially in the true mockery of the establishment. Before we know it, as quickly as the sculptures appeared, they vanish, leaving the sculptor in a haze of drunken bliss. Nice. So basically, it's about drinking. <laughs> okay. Nailed it. <laughs> um, another really famous 
claymation show was the Gumby show. Mm-hmm. Um, this was before my time, but I have heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, colorfully modeled and first of its kind, Gumby was formed in 1953 by claymation master Art Cloakley. Um, a green humanoid character, uh, Gumby was modeled with children in mind, designed to teach moral lessons as he leaped through alongside his alongside his sidekick Pokey, voiced mm-hmm. by Art himself, uh, battling his nemeses, the blockheads, which is, which is a great me. insult. <laughs> if you ever want to hate some or hate on someone, just blockhead. call them a blockhead. It's great. That's what we should call our followers, blockheads. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we'll just call them Gumbies. <laughs> oh my god. Um, to enable the stop motion modelers to stand, the characters to the characters up for long stretches. Most of the characters maintained cube shaped bodies for stability in a progress in a progressive stance for its time gumby himself was colored bright green to remain radically neutral uh gumby spawned his own films and even a video game it's very true yeah there's a lot of people obsessed with gumby a lot of people Mm. obsessed with gumby um so the big break for clay animation um so for a while disney kind of overtook everything with snow white and sleeping beauty and uh mm-hmm. what are the other ones that came out during that time cinderella, cinderella yeah. um <clears throat> i think maybe bambi too or maybe bambi Probably. was 1990s i don't know mm-hmm. anyway so basically um disney was killing it on the 2d game uh-huh. uh claymation's resurgence occurred in the 1980s as sketch style animation became increasingly popular and digital tools for animation became available aka the Wallace and Gromit era. Yeah. <laughs> so in 1989, Ardman Studios' big break came with the release of A Grand Day Out animated by Nick Park. It was undoubtedly and unsurprisingly an instant success and ter- a turning point for clay animation, um, establishing it as a serious format in film. This comedic short film depicts the first of many cinematic adventures of Wallace, a peculiar uh good-natured inventor with wacky ideas who constantly finds himself in trouble but who is but who is wallace without his best pal gromit his loyal beagle sidekick who bear who bravely comes to the rescue in each sticky situation that's so cute in this film uh cheese enthusiast (laughs) wallace which is most relatable content uh wallace resolves that the best place to find cheese is the moon so wallace and gromit construct a rocket to fly there naturally (laughs) um we can't argue with this logic so hilarious (laughs) i think this is the perfect plot for a lovely claymation movie why do they always think the moon is either made of cheese or like do we have secret moon cheese games i don't know about i don't know but we do really holding out on us i agree Mm. It would be awesome if it was made of cheese. Can you imagine having moon cheese? Space cheese. Ugh. Wow. Any cheese, honestly. <laughs> Charcuterie on the that's, moon. That's what I'm having tomorrow, honestly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So, uh, The Wrong Trousers. More beloved classics <laughs> followed. In 1993, Ardman passed another milestone with the completion of Nick Park's Oscar-winning The Wrong Trousers. Ardman first... <laughs> first 30 minute film acclaimed worldwide and the winner of over 30 awards the wrong trousers has become one of the most successful animated films ever made 
I wish they called it "These aren't my pants." Instead, <laughs> these are not my pants. <laughs> That's what I They're would. They're British. Call they have to say trousers. Oh, these are not my trousers. <laughs> a close shave swiftly followed in 1995, awarding Ardman with another Oscar and establishing Wallace and Gromit as two household names. Aww. And Ardman hadn't quite finished amassing critical acclaim and outstanding box office results. In 2005, our friends appeared in their first feature film, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit, which I do vaguely remember. I do um, not. I don't know if I, I remember that. I remember seeing commercials to it. I don't remember seeing it. We were a chicken run family, so. Yeah. 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 That was DreamWorks' answer to this, I guess. Exactly. Um, the film peaked at the box office charts in the U.S. and U.K. It earned many distinguished international awards, including an Academy Award for Best Animated Feature Film and a BAFTA for the Best British Film. Hmm. It is a wonder that from Peter and David's tabletop beginnings, Ardman was grown into a major world-class studio. But it is the people of Britain who are most fond of their animation baby with Wallace and Gromit having become so synonymous with British culture. They, um, they are almost as much loved as much as a humble cup of tea hmm. so why did claymation fail to find early success as we have previously discussed chicken run became the first feature-length work of clay animation to find its way into the silver screen grossing 224 million worldwide cool. uh from a 45 million budget wow so that's pretty good well it must uh, be well i mean it's just like product right mostly yeah I can't imagine it being like super compared I mean, to like editing, today. maybe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and artists. I guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah that's yeah. the thing. Um, to date, it is still the highest grossing stop animation film of all time. Hmm. But the success begs the following questions Why hasn't clay animation been tried more often? And why did two previous attempts at full length clay features stall at the box office? Hmm. Um, so basically the argument is that clay doesn't really fit the bill when it comes to Hollywood's vision of like what it takes to produce cinematic masterpieces. Okay. <laughs> um, because it's like not visually appealing all the time. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, other forms of animation such as traditional cell can be broken down infinitely with tasks delegated to hundreds of workers at a time. Before the director's final assembly at at the animation production stage, but with claymation, it consists of one or two animators working in front of a camera to complete Chicken Run. It took thirty sets, eighty animators, and a team of one hundred and eighty people, with only a single minute of filming completed each week. Wow! Yeah, so like time-consuming. Yeah, no, exactly. Not that like digital isn't time-consuming to a point because it still takes a while to like fully produce a film well you have to draw it all or you used right. to have to draw it all out yeah. now you can do it on computer right so. and i of course there's still like skill and artists involved and you know animator experts and things but like that that's that's very time consuming it's also kind of clunky like even right even if you <clears throat> like really get every Good. little yeah. movement and frame it still mm -hmm. kind of visually looks clunky, you know? And if somebody drops one of the figures, 
Like, <laughs> oh God, I, I need mean, to be that guy. I know, like, I'm sure it's happened, <laughs> but imagine dropping a figure. It's it's a little different than being like, oh, I misplaced that one file for this one scene. Oh, I'll just remake it from the exact copy I already have. Like, right. <laughs> you no, know what exactly. I mean? Like, that makes sense. <laughs> So now we're going to talk a little bit about the five steps for making clay animation. Ooh, are so we making a very... claymation? No, we're not doing oh, that. Um, but this is very um, brief and out. New project. So just, oh God. <laughs> Don't get her started, folks. <laughs> just give me a topic. <laughs> All right. So the models and sets may have increased in complexity over the decades and the camera equipment might now be more advanced. However, the template for creating a claymation film is generally the same. So step one, create a flexible outline. Construct nice. a basic framework of the story, illustrating the plot and movement that your clay animation will follow. Since animation form is tangible and dynamic, you can have the creative freedom to let your imagination take charge. Sure. Isn't that nice? So nice. Number two, know your frame rate. Most films of this nature consist of 24 frames per second. It can always be helpful. Um, some of the same techniques borrowed from celluloid or cell animation in traditional 2D animation by repeating static shots to save yourself some time and effort. Mm -hmm. It is cr crucial at this stage that lighting and the movement of the clay figures must stay synchronized and consistent to avoid continuity errors in the final cut. Mm -hmm. So that's the critical part. Mm -hmm. Create your characters. Using the plasticine clay to create your characters is not a necessity. However, um, if you choose clay for your medium, we highly recommend forming your clay around an armature, as we have discussed mm -hmm. in this feature. Uh, armature functions as the skeletal structure of, this, of the character and um, will help it to hold a uh, uniform shape and movement from frame to frame. Hmm. And it'll save you a lot of time. Yeah. 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 Cause you'll be able to create fluid movements. Sort of. Yeah. Ish. <laughs> it's kind of spooky. All right. Now, number four, shoot the still frames. All right. So when it comes to claymation, you are the puppet master of your show, the top dog, the wheeler dealer, the power behind the throne. Wow, this article is wild. A throne. Um, with that said, make sure to focus on every detail when shooting singular frames to create a fluid to create fluid scenes and emulate any chance of continuity errors. Eliminate words are hard. Any chance of continuity errors. That pause of realization is always great. That's my favorite for myself. Uh -huh. Even I'm just like, yeah. wow, I watch that <laughs> so good professionals number five and this is the final step compile edit and learn once you've completed your final shots the last stage of the process is to edit them um, into your final product your short film or your long <laughs> film depending on how ambitious you want to be uh claymation is a time-consuming and challenging art form and it'll be sure to test your patience and that is that is it so we expect to see all of your claymations uh in the next episode so that we can mm. share with all of our in the next stream in the next stream so we can share them with all our twitch uh twitch followers 
Um, so we'll see you January 4th with all your claymation edits. Now go, 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 go. Yes, we shall. <laughs> and I think I'm going to take the break a little early. Okay. Um, and we'll talk, we'll talk about the brief timeline, um, of claymation and then the claymation holiday universe after the break. So excited. As you may know, we have all suffered from mainstream podcasts and live streams with good, reliable Wi-Fi. This has caused countless views and followers for these influencers and created large communities who engage regularly on their platforms. If you're tired of having quality sound, video, and overall material for consumption, we've got you covered here at Mediocre Content Podcast. Introducing Blair's Crappy Wi-Fi. Have your podcast editor in literal tears each time you try to record. With Blair's crappy Wi-Fi, that's me, you will have to edit every few moments of absolute silence as Blair is constantly dropping from the call. You can even use Blair's crappy Wi-Fi on live streams and have your sound echo into the abyss and your video drop, preventing viewers from seeing or hearing you. Because why would they want to? To purchase Blair's crappy Wi-Fi, you can send your application to MediocreContentPodcast at gmail.com. Simply stating a time, Blair's crappy Wi-Fi has made your experience listening to podcasts and streams absolutely awesome. We look forward to hearing from you, and good luck making it through the rest of this pod with, you guessed it, Blair's Blair's crappy crappy Wi-Fi. Obviously, this is a fake ad, even though my Wi-Fi is, in fact, crappy. Feel free to email us all the same, but there's no way I'd be willing to give this crappy Wi-Fi to anyone, not even my worst enemy. Cheers! We have a brief timeline of (laughs) claymation here. Roll right Uh, into it. (laughs) Welcome back. Nah, we don't. No, they're just in it. It's like, you know, those books where you just what there's like a word for it when you're just starting in the action and you don't know what's happening and it'll eventually reveal itself later. That's what we're doing to them right now. Okay. There's a brief timeline. Number one, (laughs) early experiments. (laughs) of claymation happened between the late 1800s and 1900 and and late 1800s early 1900s i don't say 1900s it makes me feel old (laughs) i don't think about it that way um because i don't want to have an existential crisis right now thank you so much you're welcome uh stop motion animation can be tracked back to the late 1800s when pioneers like Edward Moybridge and J. Stuart Blackton used sequential photographs to create an illusion of motion. Moybridge work uh, with motion studies of animals and humans laid the foundation for concepts of um, capturing movement through multiple frames. Um, Number two, the Humpty Dumpty Circus in 1898. So again, this kind of contradicts what they said a little bit earlier. So just. It's all a great. See how you feel. Yeah. Yeah. Albert E. Smith and J. Stuart Blackton co-directed the Humpty Humpty Dumpty Circus, a short film featuring stop motion animation. It was one of the earliest examples of stop motion animation using toys and miniatures. Oh, that's cool and creepy. It is. Yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, the Adventures of Prince Ahmed uh, in 1926. German filmmaker Lloyd Reiner um, or Lottie. Lottie, Lloyd. Reinger? Lottie Reiner. Rein- yeah, Reinger. Created the first feature length stop motion animated film titled The Adventures of Prince, Prince Ahmed. Um, 
she used intricately cut silhouette figures and filmed them against backlit glass panels. Ooh, interesting. Fancy. Um, and then number four, King Kong in 1933. It utilized a combination of live action footage and stop motion animation for its spectacular creature effects. Willis O'Brien, the film's effects supervisor, uh, brought the gigantic ape to life through painstaking frame-by-frame animation. How big was this figure, do you think? Because that's intense. I don't know. Because you know how they used to do, like, miniatures? But Mm -hmm. then, like, the way that they would film it Mm -hmm. would make Mm -hmm. it look bigger. Right. You know, for those, like, old, um, like, horror movies, I Mm -hmm. guess, with, like, the giant spiders Mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's all, like, angle and perception. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Forced Mm -hmm. perspective perspective so i don't know fancy um number five the art of claymation the 1950s through the 1960s um ray harryhausen what a what a last name i know uh, a, re- a renowned stop-motion animator popularized the technique of using foam, rubber, and metal armatures to create more flexible and expressive characters. Hmm. His works include The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad in 1958 and the Jason and the Argonauts in 1963 showcase the mastery of this medium. The second one sounds familiar, but I don't think I've really watched either. Yeah, same. Number six, The Nightmare Before Christmas in 1993. Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas brought stop motion animation to mainstream, directed by Harry Selleck, or Henry Selleck, excuse me. The film combined dark storytelling, stunning visuals, and innovative creator character designs to captivate audiences and solidify stop motion's place in modern cinema. Fair. Um, yes, indeed. And number seven is more of like the digital revolution and contemporary works. So with the advent of digital technology, stop motion animation experienced a resurgence. So that's Mm -hmm. the modern stop motion would be Wallace and Gromit, Coraline, Chicken Run, um, all those movies. Yeah. I think they had a couple of spinoff TV shows for some of them as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Coraline, not sure, but Chicken Run and... I think definitely. I definitely Wallace and Gromit. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, that's a little bit of a overview timeline nice. for you. And now to the main event, we will be discussing the holiday claymation universe. And for the movies that we are going to be discussing, I'm just going to list them really quick so okay. you guys know what we're talking about. So. First and foremost, we have a classic, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Mm -hmm. uh, made in 1964, Little Drummer Boy in 1968, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, 1970, A Year Without Santa Claus, uh, 1974, The First Christmas, The Story of the First Christmas Snow in 1975, Rudolph's Shiny New Year, 1976, The Nestor and the Long-Eared Christmas Donkey which I have not seen. It's actually very cute. <laughs> in 1977, Jack Frost, 1979, Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July in 1979, uh, Pinocchio's Christmas, 1980, Leprechaun's Christmas Gold, 1981, The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus in 1985, Frosty the Snowman in 19. 19- 
1969, it is a 2D animated movie, but is somehow related because it was made by the same people who made these movies. And Frosty's Winter Wonderland, which is also 2D animated. I thought there was kind of, was there not like, oh, you know what it is? I'm thinking of the host snowman that always uh -huh. is like the, oh, uh -huh. the narrator of the uh -huh. story. Okay. All right. Yes, never mind. you are. Never mind. <laughs> and so all of those were made in like the 1960s, 70s, 80s-ish. Mm -hmm. Uh, the A Miser's Brothers Christmas is a 2008 stop motion spinoff based on some of the characters from the 1974 A Year Without Santa Claus. Just so you guys right, know, yeah. so they updated yeah. in 2008. I love the makeup tutorials with those. They call me, too. me Heat Miser. miser. <laughs> yeah. It's good. Yeah. It's good. So, uh. It goes without saying that watching classic animation movies like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and A Year Without Santa Claus during the holiday season is a tradition for many families. Mm -hmm. um, so the crossovers that I'm trying to highlight here. Um, so the company that made these movies are mm. Rankin Base Animated Entertainment. Okay. Um, made for TV films. Mm. And it's obviously not mandatory to watch them all together. They all like hold their own value. Mm -hmm. um, but basically, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer saved Christmas with his red nose mm -hmm. in 1964 later crossed paths with other christmas icons like frosty the snowman mm -hmm. after frosty the snowman originally aired the snowman also starred alongside the heroic reindeer and rudolph and frosty's christmas in july mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that's one crossover um so it wasn't just rudolph and frosty who met each other um Santa Claus in Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July, uh, Santa Claus is coming to town the year without Santa Claus and the Miser Brothers Christmas technically connecting all three of those movies because mm -hmm. Santa is the same in each one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Rudolph and Frosty's and Frosty's <laughs> Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July even features a flashback to Santa's early years in Santa Claus is coming to town. Um, so we have references of Santa. Also, it, it makes sense even if they weren't related, if they, because they're, it's the same people. So they're using the same like character. Animation stuff. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Like they're using the, probably the same figure across all of them as well. Correct. That yeah. is correct. Yeah. And it saved money, I feel <laughs> Absolutely. like. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so Rudolph and Frosty have their own sequels, like a Rudolph's Shiny New Year and Frosty's Winter Wonderland. Um, the latter introduced a couple more entertaining characters like Frosty's wife, Crystal, who also appears in Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July and Jack Frost mm -hmm. and Jack Frost serves the antagonist to Frosty's winter wonderland, but also learns the error of his ways, leading them or leading him to star as the protagonist in 1979's Jack Frost. Makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Um, and quite a few of these animations showcase a similar theme of using one's differences and strengths um, as their strengths. 
many of the characters like Rudolph, Hermione the Elf, Frosty, Happy the Baby, New Year, Nestor, and others are considered to be misfits, but all of their uniqueness, um, but use their uniqueness to save the day. Yeah. Classic, honestly. Yeah. So, and then, and so all of these movies have the common theme, which also further ties them together and makes it more cohesive for those mm-hmm. who are watching. Um, so some, there are some clear continuity errors, like the elf designs in many of the films, not matching up with their origin and Santa Claus is coming to town, but there are still clearly connected um, with all eyes on more modern takes on the cinematic universes this slightly it's slightly upsetting but that this especially enjoyable one is not often realized yeah so yeah if you want to if you want to watch a bunch of christmas movies all in a row i recommend these (laughs) ones because then you can see all the yeah togetherness you know too i think there's also people this just messes with me sometimes you know how so when i was growing up and these would come on TV. We were excited. And I think we even had maybe one or two on a VHS at, at some time, at some sure. point. But they would always air, of course, like any other good Christmas yeah, movie. Yeah, on like ABC Family or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And it was always like, was it my favorite? Not necessarily, but it was like a tradition to like yeah. see it and like around the time frame and get excited. And it was winter and whatever. Yeah, yeah. But nowadays, what kind of bugs me just a little bit, and everybody has their preferences, but I think it's also become a fad to kind of hate on certain things. And they're like, oh, oh claymation is so creepy. Like, it's just yeah. so unsettling. Like, it's so old looking. And it's like, kind of whatever. And I'm like, you know, I don't love claymation, but I do think it has its host in a lot of our growing up and a lot of our childhoods for those of us that had that kind of background, I suppose, for the holidays or whatever. And I don't yes. think it's I don't think it's creepy. I think it's very artistic and very challenging to make yeah. something in this manner even today and have it f- like project the way that you want it to because it is so like finite and you know very difficult to do like a handful of frames in a week and it amount to a single minute in an hour and a half long film like that right (laughs) like that's insanity so you know i Coraline i've I've heard was actually kind of creepy but i never watched that one no i didn't either i think um it's just interesting. I think it holds a lot of nostalgia, especially yeah. the Christmas ones. Yeah. Um, and they're not like the worst either, you know? Yeah. I think that's the point. Like you can like that guy on TikTok, no hate to him. He's like breaking them down and it's the way that he's doing it is so funny. Like you don't even think about that stuff. Yeah. But you also have to think about the time. Like they weren't thinking of trying to connect all the pieces necessarily like you said there's a little bit of a discrepancy between some of the ideas that came up yeah but it's yeah. not like they were back there like oh we have to make sure everything adds up and makes sense it was just supposed right. to be something that you watched and enjoyed together and um you know have that sense of nostalgia later i think yeah, yeah. and i think you can definitely like i definitely researching this have mm. a better respect for people yeah. who make this kind of movie um just because like it's really difficult to do and it's yeah. not like super easy 
no it's not or easy it's, and it's very time consuming yeah it takes a lot of patience because again if you're that guy that drops one of the figures like you better well and i think about backup. i think about um in parks and rec when yeah. ben gets depressed and he like makes a claymation movie <laughs> and he it it he spent like three days or something like some outrageous amount of time and he only got like um like 30 seconds of mm -hmm. his claymation movie and then he like it pulls him out of his depression because he's just <laughs> like oh my god that's all i gave that's all yeah. i did that's it that's all that's all <laughs> so yeah side note Another really cool <laughs> cinematic universe that I discovered this year uh, is the Netflix Christmas movie cinematic universe. Oh, boy. Um, I would start with The Princess Switch with Vanessa Hudgens and just go from there because there's three <laughs> of those. And then a, they are related to A Christmas Prince and there's a crossover movie. Oh, boy. So. I just want everyone to know that if you need another cinematic universe to fan over and like half watch, that's yeah. a good one. I think maybe one time we should do like an episode dedicated to Hallmark and their movies and their nostalgia yes. and things like that. That would probably go good with those as well. I agree. So, but as always, um, you know, if you guys have suggestions or if you guys want us to talk about something we haven't or maybe it's related to this like we said at the beginning you can always do that we obviously have ways for you to do that and we encourage you to do that so long as it's kind supportive and helpful yes. um email us if you'd like to and you want to do it old school we're here for you we do check our email so please send it our way mediocre content podcast at gmail.com as you saw earlier you can also slide into the comments if you have a video or a stream pod that you'd like to comment on we do read those as well we get notified comment on the youtubes do the youtubes um you can comment there you can also dm us on tiktok or instagram we try to be really active on both of those as well and yes. read any messages that you have um, and all of those handles are at Mediocre Content Podcast. We do try to make it very easy <laughs> yes. to find yes. us because it's a long name anyway. Yeah. Um, um, and we hope you guys have like a fabulous holiday, whatever yes. you celebrate. And um, yeah, we'll be back for more in the new year. Yeah. And as, uh, uh, as a Christmas gift to us, because we celebrate Christmas, but as a gift to us, please rate us five stars wherever you listen yes. to the podcast. That would be fantastic. Five stars. <laughs> we we will also it. be sick, accepting four stars for a limited amount of time. <laughs> for, yes. Uh, as of right now. Okay. It's back to five. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Have a wonderful holiday season. We'll see you in January 2024. Bye. Cheers.